What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It's Friday. And that means it's Godzilla. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. I write for The Rab. I write for Slash Film. I write for The Film Verdict. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibel. I just write for Slash Film. That, that's that's my one outlet. But you write like five times as much as I do, to be fair. I, I, I do write nine to five, just all day yeah, long. That's uh, ratios bit misleading and, uh, uh, and, and I, I like godzilla you like godzilla a lot this is a whitney podcast whitney was very excited about this one in particular and uh, we live in los angeles so we like smog as oh well. my god as dr demento said under the smogberry trees <laughs> there's uh, uh i grew up we're gonna be talking about we review every single godzilla movie in order every friday we're gonna be talking about the film godzilla versus the smog monster today but whitney's not kidding about the smog i grew up uh in uh uh a part of Los Angeles County called Pasadena. It's best known for the Rose Parade. You might have seen it on New Year's. Um, I grew up in a place where if you wanted to see how bad the air quality was, you looked north. If you could see mountains, and the mountains are close, by the way. Mm. Like, they loom large over you, like a Lovecraftian god. If you could see mountains, it's a good day. If you literally couldn't see the mountains, if it looked like there's just a gray horizon, mm-hmm. smog wasn't very wasn't very good that day. Smog was was kind of overwhelming. What did we do about that? We went well, to school and we well, breathed I was about it. To say, what could you? What can you do? Yeah. about it? nothing really. Yeah, smog is bad. Pollution is bad. There's way too fucking much of it, and. This is a topic that has already been broached, bless you, Excuse me. foreshadowed, if you will, in a previous Godzilla film we have reviewed on this show. If you remember the episode about all monsters attack, mm-hmm. it introduced several elements that are actually surprisingly paying off. <laughs> First is a whole generation of kids that's like being raised in an increasingly like industrial world where there are smoke absent st- parents. Yeah, yeah. there's there are absent parents. There's smokestacks spewing fumes into the air. The oceans are full of sludge. That pays off in this movie. Also, kids being huge fans of Godzilla and having a psychic connection to Godzilla also pays off in this movie. I really thought they were going to drop that. But no, it's like there's like a Stephen King thing. Like a, like in every Stephen King novel, there's like one kid who's mysteriously psychic and has nothing to do with anything. Uh, it's several stories, yeah. It's a lot. Psychic children. Yeah. Uh, well, we got that too. To get to the point where the kid's just wandering around in the middle of the plot saying, hey, I got a psychic message from Godzilla. He says he's on his way. And I'm like, how did you meet? <laughs> How do you have his number in your Rolodex? How did you... Did you, do you is he like a friend of the family? Like, how do you know God? It's like, there's always like that one person, like someone you know knows, uh-huh. in like a weird tangential way. Like, how do you know Mila Jovovich? How do you, <laughs> how do you know that you know them? How did you, how did you meet? Getting those Godzilla. 
Anyway, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, aka Godzilla versus Hedora. Hmm. Whitney. Yes. Talk about the movie, please. Uh, just waiting for you to get, do do your spiel. Um, hmm. Godzilla versus Hedora. Hedora is is the Smog Monster. Hedora is a mixture of some sort of like extraterrestrial space dust yeah. that floats down to Earth and mixes with what I assume is poo. It's just sewage. It's a lot of gross stuff it's, it's in the like water. Gro- yeah. A lot, yeah, gross pollution in the water. Those things mixed together. It starts out like as this tadpole monster with like big scary red eyes. It looks and, like a vermicious canid, if you remember from like the illustrated like uh, sequel Willy to, to Willy Wonka. Willy, uh, the, Willy Wonka and the Great Glass, uh, Charlie the Great Glass Elevator. Uh-huh. They had these aliens called vermicious canids. They're name checked in the in the Gene Wilder movie. Yeah, but the pictures of them were like just these really scary eyed. Dark orbs. Oh, they look almost like, um, remember the Grinch's eyes and Halloween is Grinch night? Oh, I didn't see Halloween is Grinch night. Oh, it, it's incomprehensible. There's <laughs> okay. a sequel to How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It's a Halloween episode. It makes no sense whatsoever, but there's some neat imagery in it. And there's just a lot of scary Grinch eyes. Mm. And you should, you should, you should know that going in. But yeah, it makes this big old tadpole monster. And at first it seems like it's just going to be another sea monster movie. But then it starts evolving like tremors. Yeah, it, it's the more it comes into contact with like other pollution, the bigger it gets, and it becomes. I'm not sure if it's intelligent. It doesn't really seem intelligent. It doesn't have much of a personality. It always seems confused, but it does mm. seem to be trying to figure things out. And but it yeah. can and it can change shape, and it turns yeah. into uh, like it, it'll eventually turn into like this upright tower thing mm-hmm. uh but for the it can also uh like sort of slurp around on the ground and it can eventually also turn into like a ufo it can fly yeah. like a like a flying almost like a flying lamprey or something mm-hmm. just zooming throughout the air and wherever it goes there's there's a plot point that they bring up and i'm glad they i'm glad they addressed it because i was thinking it this thing eats our pollution mm. that's what it survives on and someone eventually says what if that's a good thing? It just yeah, cl- it's cleaning things up. Yeah, wouldn't it clean the air? And it turns out no, because it's, it's just con- condensing all of the pollution into itself and becoming more destructive. It becomes more destructive. Yes, it just gets bigger and bigger monster. But also on top of that, um, when it expels waste, it expels these like huge clouds of like sulfuric acid mist. Smog. It's a smog monster. But yeah, but smog doesn't skeletonize people. Hedera uh, does. Yeah. It, it, they're, they're literally scenes of people being skeletonized in this movie, which is pretty big about face well, cl- after all monsters attack. Clearly you haven't driven into downtown Los Angeles, you know, in mid-August on a 98 degree day. I thought I got a little skeletonized that yeah, day. There, yeah, there, there are some days out. where you, you walk around, you'll see some people getting skele- skeletonized. The air quality in Los Angeles sucks, It's really bad. It's not as bad as it used to be, but it's still really fucking bad. Okay. Yeah. Um... Things don't get skeletonized enough, I feel. In, uh, in movies, people mm-hmm. get skeletonized sometimes, but there was a time when it happened a lot. I think Mars Attacks killed it. I don't think I've seen anyone get skeletonized since Mars Attacks. I was trying to... Because mm-hmm. that's what the, the Martians would do. They'd shoot you with a ray gun. And if your, it was like yeah, a, a pink ray, off, yeah. you'd become a pink skeleton. If it was a green ray, you'd become a green skeleton. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was Seriously, when was the last time you saw anyone skeletonized in a movie? It's been a second. It's been a hot minute, right? Yeah, because I, I, you're right. I, I, I recall a, a re- really wonderful scene in Critters Two, mm-hmm. where the critters skeletonized a guy. Yep. Uh, I guess Piranha 3D had plenty of that. 
Uh, I don't remember the skeleton. I, I guess see, maybe. I didn't see Piranha 3 Double D. Um, I didn't either, no. But I'm, I'm sure they had some of that in that as yeah, well. Probably. Um, Godzilla versus the Skeletonizer would have been a much cooler title, I'm not going to lie. Does he ever... Godzilla is, is an amphibian. Yes. They swim around underwater. Yep, sometimes uh, they forget that, but yeah. But there hasn't ever been, as far as I recall, like a full-bore underwater monster. Like, we've had Godzilla versus the sea monster, Yeah, but they waded around. They were yeah. above the water when they fought. Mostly. Like, occasionally go underwater for like a minute, but it's mm. never like really consistent. We yeah. never really had Godzilla versus Monda, and I feel like that was a wasted opportunity. Monda would have been a pretty cool monster for Godzilla to fight. It would have been yeah. in the water. He's got like a totally different like mm. physical structure, going to wrap himself around Godzilla. Would have been really cool. Yeah, uh, this movie is so weird. Uh, its its tone is all is oh, really strange. It, it goes from uh, extremely dark to extremely light, and nothing fat, yeah, nothing there's, flat. There's a, a really uh, wonderful scene in a dance hall. We got another dance Yay! scene, <laughs> and yeah, Hedera kind of leaks and leaks down there and starts like melting people. Yeah, uh, this was directed. This is the first uh, Godzilla movie. Uh, directed by Yoshimitsu Bano, and I think it's the only Godzilla movie he actually directed. Yeah, uh, produced some of the later ones. He but did. Yeah. He 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 wanted to do more, and he got kind of shoved out because the producer of this movie ended up not liking the finished product very much. Uh, and then he eventually like finagled his way into being attached to the American Godzilla rights, and so he produced like the legendary movies. He, he passed away a few years ago, but he was still like in you know instrumental in getting those films made. Uh, but yeah, it's Yoshimitsu Bano, uh, and his style is just radically different from anything. Oh, he yeah. he is a kitchen sink filmmaker. He throws he, like say like uh, uh, Ishiro Honda would occasionally throw like a few random elements in, but he'd give those things time. He'd it let is, it be a diamond heist movie, you know. It's it's kind of astonishing to think what a, a kind of a restrained, almost classical filmmaker yeah. Ishiro Honda is, especially now that we're getting into like other filmmakers from like the seventies. Yeah, because uh, this has like animated interstitials. This yeah. room resembles the movie House more than it does yeah. a Godzilla movie. And it, it's got James Bond elements. That opening it opens with like this really it's pretty catchy song mm. with like this woman like singing in front of this like extremely like abstract color sort of form behind her that changes color throughout but she's singing about pollution and why it's bad which is just a hell of a choice and so we get like rock music numbers here we got like hippie bonfire freakouts in here we have animated like educational sequences in here we have like kid friendly like family friendly stuff we have skeletonizations and just the overall just sort of impact of Hedorah is, honestly, I think he's the scariest like kaiju we've seen in the Godzilla franchise yeah, since well, the original Godzilla. He is, just looks uh, menacing. King Ghidorah was, you know, the ob- the object of, uh, of the fight. Like the, yeah. the, the main boss. To, the, there you go, the boss monster, the one to be destroyed. Yeah. And... Some of those fights, like just in terms of physicality, were kind of exciting. Hmm. Uh, you know, the, the various monsters firing blasts at one another. This is the first time in a Godzilla movie where I think the fight was like the highlight. And let me yeah. explain what I mean by that. Like, a, a lot of the film is devoted, a lot of time in the film is devoted to just one extended fight sequence. We've talked a, a lot before about sort of the... the 30-30-30 structure of a Godzilla movie. The first 30 yeah. minutes, uh, mysterious things are afoot. 
uh, then right at the 30 minute mark, that's when a monster is introduced. Usually and, the uh, villain monster. Th- there's a villain monster, and then Godzilla is also introduced. That second half, they're sort of walking slowly toward each other. Yeah. Like across the countryside. They and might they... have like one short fight just to establish that this is a threat to Godzilla. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we won't get the big fight. Until yeah, the end. and then there's a big fight, but the big fight was usually also kind of across the countryside. They would, you know, have various locations. Mm-hmm. There would be, you know, one monster would run off and start destroying things. Godzilla would have to catch up. Like, it was all action, mm-hmm. but it was varied action. Godzilla versus Hedra, that last fight is like just one fight. It, it doesn't have those same kind of sprawling qualities. It has it has multiple elements. And some of those elements are deeply confusing. Uh, like there's there's like some Lynchian dream logic in how the smog monster works so, in this thing. Yeah, I, we'll, we'll get to it when we get uh, to it because let's let's try to stay a little focused. But like, yeah, and it's, but it's hard with this unfocused movie. It right? really, really is. But even then, we still break this mold really, really fast because we get this one uh, Hidora pretty quick, hmm. like first act, and then Godzilla after Hidora like shows up and is like a proper monster. Godzilla just shows up. There is no justification for why Godzilla is involved. Hidora doesn't pick a fight with it. It doesn't end up on Monster Island. It's not like, oh, Godzilla's been on a ramp. There's no excuse. It's basically Hidora is Hidora. And then all of a sudden we get this incredibly, like, just random collection of images of Godzilla appearing in front of, like, a giant sunrise, like a Sergio Leone movie. <laughs> and then he's just like, yep, yeah, I guess that's my cue. And then he, like, kind of, and he kind of soaks up some attention, like he expects the audience to applaud. Mm. And then... He just shows up and starts wailing on Hedora every time Hedora shows up. There's no motive. Like, he's not, like, protecting Minya well, this, or anything. Yeah. It's just... It, 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 this is, it's like he was just brought in. It's like, we hired Godzilla for the day. We gotta get the most out of him. Like, he's here for the kid's birthday party, so he's gotta, oh, like... Go. He's gotta do stuff. Um, Earn his check. I, if... We're past the point of Godzilla the monster being a symbol for nuclear annihilation. Uh, certainly not a clear one. Yeah, uh, yeah. like a, we're into this is 1971. This movie came yeah. out, so we're you know lo- long past the original and sort of the the symbol of that particular symbol of the monster. And Godzilla has slowly become, as we've been exploring, a symbol of Japanese national pride. Sure. Uh, the kid the, plays the, with yeah. Godzilla toys in this movie. He's like, God, someone even says, "Oh, is Godzilla your favorite?" And he says, "Yeah, he's Superman." Yeah, Godzilla is Superman. Now. Yeah, Godzilla is is the superhero of, of that will protect the nation. And as such, we have these movies now uh, exploring how the Japanese national character can defeat, uh, in some cases, interlopers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the in this case, it's man made. Pollution threats. Yeah. Uh, But pollution is so bad, Mm. not even Japanese national pride, which is infinite, Mm. can take it out. Not easily. No, it's going to take a lot lot of work. And it takes that Japanese national pride as well as some technical know-how, because this is the first time humans, I think, invented a weapon that was actually effective against a monster. There have been, like, Uh, laser beams in the uh, past. The Oxen Destroyer. And the oxygen destroyer. Fair yeah, enough. I guess but so. yeah, yeah, fair enough. But yeah, they, they invent a weapon that's actually effective. However, as we will see when we discuss this scene mm. at length, because we have to, it's really weird. <laughs> uh, it's also the first time when the humans kind of work with Godzilla directly. Yeah. Uh, and they there's create a lot this weapon, left... but it's it's Godzilla powered, and we'll yeah. get to that. And there's a lot that's left out as to how the hell that was arranged or how <laughs> Godzilla knows anything, but 
it, it happened, and it's really, really weird. But here's the thing. We've had Godzilla... You're right, he's no longer, like, a metaphor for, like, the horror of nuclear power. Yeah. But we've seen him evolve, as a character, at least. Like, he went from, you know, a, a terrifying symbol uh, to almost, like, a petulant god. Yeah. You know, someone who's, like, he's big and he's powerful and he resents humanity, but he doesn't hate humanity. He kind of just wants to be left to fucking alone. But if Earth is in trouble, since he lives here, he'll do some work every once in a while. He will he will chip in if, like, Ghidorah is going to destroy it all. Mm. Uh, but he still isn't, like, super into it. And then, like, he'll only, like, the last couple of films, he would only fight to, like, protect his son. Or if he was being mind-controlled by aliens, and then he was mad at the aliens for doing it. He only did things that were more or less in his own self-interest until now. Yeah, This film, true. this is the turning point where he literally only shows it has nothing to do with him. There's a bit where the kid says, I bet if Godzilla could see all this pollution, he'd hate it. Mm. That may or may not be true, but it certainly wasn't his fucking problem right now. And, and it's kind of a weird message because Godzilla himself was created by... Mm like nuclear fallout and radiation yeah. and things that were killing sailors in the original one. It's a little ironic uh, if you think about yeah. it even like and and, and again well, I guess the message is pollution is even worse than the bomb or is as destructive as the bomb was. Th and that's a hell of a message. You could yeah. make that argument if you really wanted to. I mean, it's it's big, but like it and, and you know <sighs> but like if you really wanted to lay down the law and say like listen, pollution is this bad. It is an existential threat. Mhm. Mm we're going to use Godzilla to convey that. You, you can. The problem is, is that when you have in like a superhero movie, which I'm just going to consider this kind of superhero movie where they, they make the analogy. Totally fair. And we've seen this a lot in American movies lately, including one of the Godzilla movies, is that when you have in your superhero movie a message that goes beyond that this villain is a bad guy and wants to do bad things and has to be stopped and becomes something that really we should all be able to, to agree on. Yeah. Like natural resources dwindling, the environment is being destroyed, will overpopulation make the earth unsustainable within the next hundred years, that kind of thing. And we've had a lot of movies, this is in more of the American modern version, but like we've had a lot of movies like uh, Hobbs and Shaw, Avengers, Infinity War and Endgame, or uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, where the quote-unquote villains of the film were the people who were just like, hey, listen, environmental is, like the environmental decay is and like global warming and all of that climate change is an existential threat we have to do something extreme to fix it hmm. or else the entire human race is doomed and that is something that we don't want to do but we feel is necessary and the heroes of those stories stop the villains from doing the thing that is an immediate threat and do absolutely fuck all, nothing at all, oh. about the actual threat that exists in the real yeah. world that the movie ostensibly tried to address. The, yeah, they, they there's been this, uh, in the last generation, this kind of uh, incessant need to make villain characters mm. uh, more sympathetic, more human. Yeah. Uh, let, let's not make them really villainous. They have to be kind of understandable. Uh, yeah, they, have, they have a motive part, that we yeah. can get behind in some way. You part, know, like... part of that, is, I think, is trying to uh, sort of take the edge off of villainy for some mm -hmm. reason. And the other is to uh, 
if the villain is given a motivation that the audience can agree with, there's a bit, there's a twinge of irony that the, the good mm-hmm. guys are fighting them. Uh, in most of the cases you mentioned, the villain's means were psychopathic. Yes. They just wanted to kill thousands of people. It's like, well, if yeah. you kill half the population to save the other half. Yeah. Well, but you're killing half the population. No, that's I, kind of, that's wrong. And that's genuinely bad. But again, you're associating. <laughs> and again, one movie does this and it's maybe not a big deal. A whole bunch at once do it. Yeah, you're creating a pattern. You're creating uh, this image of, yeah, environmentalists. They're all so evil, right? Uh, yeah. and, and <laughs> Right? And the the heroes never stop and say, well, I agree with what you're getting at, but your means are bad. Yeah. So why don't we work together to fix it without murdering half of the planet? Or yeah. we're going to beat you up, but then we're really going to knuckle under and actually depict in the movie how we're going to take care of this problem like, that you were concerned Tony with. Tony Stark can use nanobots to create like super, super armor out of nothing. Hmm. You're telling me he can do... Like nothing can't. about the environment? You don't mean he can do nothing about scarcity or climate change? Like, he has absolutely no... You're telling me Thor, the literal god of thunder who can mm. control the weather, yeah. can do nothing about climate change? That's something that's bothered me about the uh, one of the X-Men. Storm, yeah. she can literally control the weather with her mind. Yeah. She can, like, make rain clouds appear. And doesn't she even, like, make cyclones and stuff? Like, really that, yeah. big weather events. It's a huge godlike powers. Yeah. yeah. Go to where there's a drought. They there have done stories where she's done that. Okay. They have done that. But the thing is again, there'll also be stories in which she's doing other things and it's just like it feels like you have bigger responsibilities like, don't, right now. You don't need to throw lightning bolts at like a toad man. Yeah. You you can just go to the deserts that like need precipitation and make it happen with your mind and, and again you know obviously a lot of these characters were made in the spirit of good fun people weren't necessarily thinking yeah, about all yeah. these big issues but the longer they're around the more we get to know them the more we take them seriously and the more we ask these questions one of my favorite stories superman in the superman uh, uh you know mm. uh, universe I, yeah well i was gonna say like the canon or whatever but um is a, a story called Superman Peace on Earth, and it was uh, painted by Alex Ross. I forget who wrote it. It might have been Kurt Music, but uh, the idea is Superman decides he can't do this every day because it, it would take up like all his time and nothing else would ever be possible. But for one day, no one on Earth is going to go hungry. That's his job. Uh-huh. He's going to make one day where everyone on Earth gets fed. He's going to use all of his super speed, his strength, everything to make sure that's possible. There you go. And what he discovers is that humanity doesn't let that happen. <laughs> he will go to places where there are starving people and he will give, he will drop off food and then immediately people will come and take that food and hoard it and deny it to people. And he can't stop and deal with that because if he does that, other people go hungry. Yeah. It is an, it is not a sustainable solution for Superman to solve all our problems. And that's a fair point. But I think in, the best way to address that is to actually address that mm. and make that you know, significant, make that actually like articulate it clearly. Now, this isn't exactly the same thing that's happening in Godzilla versus Hedorah because, you know, no one's, it, it, this isn't like a villain who's like spurred by like, you know, climate change or, or pollution or anything like that. But the overwhelming theme is pollution. Yeah. Godzilla beats up pollution, like the living embodiment of it. But at the end of the day, no one, no one even says, oh, I guess we have to do better. Like, it's just basically, we're just going to do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. That will just keep being pollution. Yeah, that's it. Well, in fact, that's not uh, really helping the message much. In fact, how does how does the film end? Like, what's the last thing on screen? Oh, the last thing on screen is uh, uh, I, I wrote it down. Hang on. Uh, <laughs> will there be another? 
Or it, I thought it, it was maybe another one. Uh, uh, depends on the translation. Yeah. Depends on the translation. But basically, like, eh? And it's hard to say what like the, what the context is even of that anymore. Because it could be, like, James Bond will be back. Like, there will be another monster to fight Godzilla. Or it could be, oh, there'll be another tragedy. This is just going to happen again unless we change our ways. But unless you even have... It, it's funny. It's such a silly trope if you think about it. But then you take it away and you realize just how important it is. Unless you have someone do the South Park line, you know what? I learned something today. Uh-huh. Nobody learns anything most of the time. You have to actually say, like, oh, yeah, you know, nuclear war is really bad. We should try to do something about that. And then, like, that's at least you're at your ass is covered. At uh, least it sounds like you're about well, something. The, that last, uh, it wasn't like James Bond will return. It's, uh, mm. there will be another Hedera. That, that's, it doesn't say Hedera. It doesn't say, will there be another? Another what? Well, another smog monster. Or just another kaiju to fight Godzilla. No, like, another smog monster. Okay. It's, I think it's pretty clear. Um, All right. The idea is, if, if we're not cautious, if we don't you know cease our polluting, polluting ways, mm-hmm. then we'll just create another Hedera at some point. Something... Mm-hmm. Pollution is is it's a cautionary tale. We have to be careful about this stuff. Yes, and 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 honestly, you're right because that that line right there, uh, you know, people saw this movie and they were like, oh yeah, we need to do something about that, and that's why there's no pollution now. Uh, that's right. Yeah. You know, there's no pollution in the Godzilla universe. They took Anymore. care of it. Yeah, done. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, there's also um, there, there's this weird sort of fatalistic tone to this movie as well mm. because there's an element in this movie where uh Hedera mm. is running rampant just destroying wantonly the most destructive mm. monster we've seen in yeah. in Godzilla maybe since the original maybe not necessarily in terms of structural damage but in body count i think so yeah yeah and uh and also unstoppable because it's made of goop yeah. like you can't punch goop like early fights with Godzilla he like punches it and it's like the T-1000 he just goops through it and it yeah. has no meaningful impact on it and it's kind of gross it's really gross yeah, yeah. and that the smog monster is on the loose and is just sort of killing people people essentially decide to have like an end of the world orgy more or less yeah. there, there's a big party I think it's on Mount Fuji uh, where they're just yeah we're, we're all gonna die at the hands of the smog monster so we as well just sort of party yeah, and, there's... and I I started to get uh, flashbacks to something like "Don't Look Up." Yeah, you know another rather uh, blunt global warming metaphor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't hate that movie the way the rest of the world seems to, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to defend it too hard. Th- this idea that uh, pollution is out there, we're responsible for it, and it's already so far gone that there's yeah. that we have no recourse anymore. So we may as well just let it keep on happening. Yeah. There's this weird fatalistic quality. Like we cut mm. to like after like about 20, 25 minutes of the movie, we're following uh, this main kid and his dad is a scientist who's trying to study Hedorah and his mom is a gym teacher, which is kind of just a random element, but okay, cool. I'm glad at least he gave her like, you know, some element of character. Uh, and then we cut to, you mentioned before this rock show. And it's the band that played in the opening credits. So I was like, oh, cool. They gave the band a cameo. Hmm. And then, like, the band is playing. They're singing more songs about, like, you know, why pollution is bad. And then we cut to this one, like, this one guy is, like, a young man. And he's, like, looking all depressed while everyone is dancing. And it's just like, oh, yeah, pollution's really going to fucking get us. This is the worst. And that's when, you know, Hedora starts attacking. And there's, like, this, like, river of slime. It's almost like the blob uh-huh. comes, like, pouring in. There's this one sequence... I- I honestly don't understand why 
this cat didn't get skeletonized, but his cat gets like sludged. Uh-huh. And he's just like, meow. <laughs> I like, yeah, I don't know, man. Every all the humans got skeletonized. I guess the the, the, the it's good for cats. <laughs> we, we found Hedera's weakness. It's cats. Yeah, but like gather the cats of Japan. Then like they leave, and then they see Godzilla fighting Hedorah, and they're like, "Hey, let's drive closer." I'm like, "Why? Why are you doing this? Why would you? Whatever." And then we find out later, and this feels like such an afterthought that that's like the little kid's like uncle or brother or something. And this has never been mentioned before. And so now he, this guy and the lead singer of the rock band, and I guess they're dating, uh, are in the story too. But like, yeah, Hidora is just going to fuck more shit up. They decide to hold like a huge party. It ends up being a somewhat small party and they're all just kind of in a circle around a bonfire. And there's this weird thing they do as they're like driving up there. All of a sudden the movie goes to black and white uh-huh. Which is a bold, stylistic choice, like really just random. And everyone's just like there and they're really depressed and they're playing like sad guitar music. And then someone says, hey, I thought more people would be here. And then that teenager guy is just like, yeah, well, screw it. Let's have an origin. He strums his guitar. Everything goes to color. Everyone rocks out, like rocks out like real, real hard. The kid is there for some reason. I don't know why. And then every once in a while they cut to and this is never explained and they never come back to it. A group of old, scary-looking people in in the bushes somewhere, with like eerie, ghostly lighting on their faces, just oh, looking man. at them. I kept expecting that to go somewhere and like mean something, or they'd at least I, have dialogue. No, I they just cut to a, them once in a while. It's I weird. That's like a, some sort of comedy running gag that I'm not supposed to get, but maybe it is. Maybe, I, maybe it's literal ghosts in this movie. It I could be because this is a very psychedelic movie. It's very strange, and then the movie just sort of forgets about those people mm-hmm. because the rest of the movie is Godzilla fighting. Here, here, you know what? Here, here's my new theory about uh, Godzilla versus Hedorah. They were making all these other movies. Uh, for kids mm-hmm. like they started out kind of these somber dramas for monster dramas for, mm-hmm. for uh, an adult audience yeah they got kind of broad and silly but the, the adults could still go and by the time we got to uh, all monsters attack we're courting a child audience i think they also realized that there are a lot of teenagers who are going to these movies high mm-hmm and the, there's also, you know, this is the 70s. There's a lot of more movies about sort of drug culture and all of these mm-hmm. psychedelic films. Mm-hmm. All of those trends. Uh, and this is 1971, same year as El Topo. So like sure. this kind of drug-addled midnight movie mentality is leaking into mainstream Godzilla pictures. Yeah. And don't forget, they are like shipping these movies overseas. They do want mm. an American audience to pay money for these. Yeah. So there probably is at least some awareness that these kind of freak-out films mm. are doing well over there. Yeah. So that might be a factor. Um, but yeah, it's just this movie's just all over the place, tonally and stylistically. Um, yeah, Ghidorah, uh, sorry, Hidora finds a way to, uh, you know, sort of become like ambulatory and actually starts walking around. Uh-huh. I, I really think he's just the scariest looking kaiju. I just think he's just like very bizarre the, and un, an unearthly. The eyes really frightening. Yeah, they're really, they're these bright red eyes and they're really, yeah. Uh, What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. So he he wanders out of the ocean and onto, like, 
some some kind of factory that's just churning smoke out of smokestacks. Mm. And then he puts his giant head over the smokestack and takes a like the world's biggest bong hit off of it. <laughs> yep. It's just this huge fucking yeah, but yeah. it looks exactly what it's like. It's really, 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 really funny. Honestly, I got like a big laugh out of it. I don't know how aware the filmmakers were that that's what they were doing, but considering all the hippie shit in this, I suspect it occurred to them. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, and then Godzilla shows up and they have a really, really big old fight. Uh, Godzilla throws the thing around. He throws Hidora like across the... The, the city, basically. And Hedorah, like, hits a building. And we briefly cut to, inside the building, a whole bunch of guys playing Mahjong. And then Hedorah, like, hits the, the, the building. But because Hedorah isn't really solid, uh-huh. he just splatters against it. And then we yeah. cut to that room full of the Mahjong guys. And they're all just, like, dead and covered in slime. Just randomly because <laughs> they had their window open. Uh-huh. Which is just bizarre. Um, yeah, there's also, Hidora likes to, like, squirt goo on Godzilla a lot, and a very... And it's not suggestive at all. No, it's, well, honestly, it's not, it, honestly, it looks like he's using his own filth. Yeah. Like, it's it's just gross. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Big old poo monster. So Godzilla's all grossed out by this and annoyed, and Godzilla looks annoyed, too. He's starting to just act more human. Like, he's starting to do, like, fancy footwork boxing, like, sliding side to side. Mm. It's very strange. Um, Hedorah is is, uh, is frightened off, finally, after fighting Godzilla long enough. But then when Hedorah comes back, he's back in that UFO form, and he's spreading fumes everywhere. He's skeletonizing whole cities. We get an animated interstitial showing that, like, they're selling, like, anti-Hedora masks. Yeah, just so people can survive a world with Hedora in it, which is a lot. Eventually, the kid's dad, who early on was attacked by Hedora and like burned and like you know he's been he's like in in bed convalescing this whole time, but he keeps trying to run experiments. He's trying to figure out a way to stop Hedora, and he's the one who figures out Hedora is from space. He's the one who figures out Hedora is actually mostly mineral. He's not actually biological. Yeah, most of him. Uh, and uh, he figures out that, with the kid's help, uh, that they can create a device that will make Hedora essentially solidify into a solid mineral mass that can just be broken. Essentially dry him out. Yeah. So they create this, like, giant... It's like a reflector. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's like two giant squares, and if Hedora, like, walks in the middle of them, they can capture it in, like, this beam, and it'll dry Hedora out. But first they have to get him to do that. First they have to build it, then they get him to do that. It's all very tricky. And then Godzilla shows up. This is all towards the end. There's a knockdown, drag out, constant fight with Godzilla. Godzilla's kicking the crap out of Hedorah. Hedorah is grabs Godzilla, drags him up a mountain, digs a grave. All right. He drops <laughs> Godzilla in an open grave and starts spewing so much filth all over Godzilla that Godzilla is essentially being buried alive, and he's like rolling on his back like a turtle, like totally mm. desperate, while like this giant alien monster shoots its poo at him. And I haven't seen that before. Mm. <laughs> 
I have to There's give the a, movie credit. I've never uh, seen that image before. That's a new image to me. Not, you're not going to see that in your Marvel movies. No. Um, Cowards. <laughs> make it sick, you cowards. Yeah. You know that John Favreau tried. And then yeah. they were just like, no, no, we can't do it. And he's like, fine. John Favreau, unfortunately, is far too clean a filmmaker. No, I, like, he actually makes really slick, easy to consume I, movies. I, I picked the wrong random MCU director. Like, <laughs> Scott Derrickson would have suggested that. Oh, maybe. there you, you go. Know, like, yeah. Sam Raimi, yeah. if he was young and more daring. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you don't see too much. I feel sorry for uh, Haru and Akajima, who's in the Godzilla suit, who had to be, like, sprayed with that stuff. Because you just know it, like, slid inside the mask and, like, probably smelled like paint and just... No, that's... You know, that's just to breathe awful. those fumes all day. No, that's rough, man. That's a tough gig. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, the the final, uh, like, death blow uh, involves those those panels yeah, and that like, kind of electrify Hidora. And Hidora has, like temporarily disposed of Godzilla and the humans are like we have to lure Hidora here and they use like their lights on their cars they blink them on and off to like sort of signal mm. Hidora to like oh, oh what is this I'm curious problem is they haven't hooked the machine up yet like they don't have the time uh-huh. so they're they're trying to like stall as much as possible but Hidora if Hidora passes through the machine it's all for naught it's never gonna work and, like, they keep doing things like, I need 10 more minutes. You have 30 seconds. There's no buffer time on this. And so just when it looks like Hedora is going to, uh, you know, emerge unscathed and this entire subplot is going to go nowhere, Godzilla shows up and uses his radioactive breath to power the machine. Yeah. How Godzilla knows what the machine does, how it works, or that his breath will power it is never even hinted at. They say the kid has a psychic connection to Godzilla. They could have said, I'm going to send Godzilla a psychic fax mm. with all like the, the, the schematics. <laughs> they could have done that. They well, don't. I'd love to see uh, the little kid like beams like the blueprints into Godzilla's yeah. mind. He goes, Rawr, stumbles up to it, yeah. kind of like leans down with those little claws and like starts adjusting it a little bit. <laughs> you got it wrong. Really got to reroute the power is, through yeah. here and... Look, I made it forty percent more efficient. Wow, forty percent! Good job, Godzilla. <laughs> We'd have been sass- excited about four. Um, so yeah, he like supercharges this machine. Then Hidora like gets all crunchy, and then Godzilla punches his fists into Hidora, and he pulls out two mysterious orbs. Those are his, his eyeballs. Supposedly, they don't look like his eyeballs because his eyeballs were red the entire time, even when they weren't glowing. Uh, I. I... I wasn't confused by that. There was, I was. Clearly, they're not his testicles. I thought they... First off, they look like his testicles. But secondly... Sorry. Secondly, I thought this was like some kind of weird David Lynch thing where like, you know, you find some <laughs> weird monster, you find some weird beast in the woods and for reasons you can't even explain, you just shove... It looks like he's rummaging through Santa's sack and he's pulling out organs and things. <laughs> and like, you just, you're rummaging through this like carcass you find in the woods. And what do you find? two perfect white spheres and they glow mm. and you look at them and you realize this probably means a lot but David Lynch will never actually explain that so you're going to have to go to Reddit and see if like someone actually has a theory so, about it and it's probably so, going to be walk, right and it's going to annoy you somebody wa- walks up to the orb turns to their friend and just a really terrified expression things are about to get very bad <laughs> yeah something like that and the other person just screams 
And like Godzilla like breaks the things, but it turns out like some of Hedorah is able to escape, and he's got to track mm-hmm. that shit down, drag it back to the machine, turn the machine back it, it on again. It goes on and on. It's, it's over. <laughs> over. My, it's just like you, it's, you killed him. He's dead. Why are we doing this? It takes a lot, a lot of hard work to destroy pollution. You've hit eighty minutes. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, that's the sweet spot for Godzilla. We don't need to drag this out. But we do. He, he kills Hedorah dead, and he yeah, wanders squishes off. Squishes the eyeballs, stomps Hedorah into the, yeah. the dry, dry poo Hedorah into the ground. Yeah. And then he, like, and then Godzilla just sort of, oh! Hmm. Oh my god, we missed the most important thing. Hmm. Because when Hedorah, like, slimes away after Godzilla destroys his eyeball soul pearls, oh. uh, he flies away. <laughs> oh, that's right. He, and then he, Godzilla he lifts does. his tail up between his legs. Godzilla, Godzilla does. does. Yeah. And points his head away from Hydra and blasts his nuclear breath and uses it like a jet engine. Yeah. Like, lifts up off the ground and, and jets toward Hydra. Godzilla has never done this before. And sadly, and he's not ever going to do it again. I think he did it, I heard he like did it in some of the video games, but like, mm. yeah, in the movies, this is the only time Godzilla ever flies by shooting his radioactive breath in another direction. It is... Fucking ridiculous. And granted, <laughs> this whole movie is, but not always like in, in this in, kind of childlike fantasy yeah. kind of way. So this really stands out. It's so dark and heavy. And then Godzilla and the does the silliest thing he's ever night, done. Which is, yeah. uh, I think, a first as well. Most of these are pretty well-lit, open fight scenes. We've definitely seen some in like some of the other movies mm. we've done in the series. Like, like uh, War of the Gargantuas. War of the Gargantuas. Yeah. Uh, Dogoro yeah. attacked at night. King Kong and... Escapes had a big one at night. Oh, there you go. And yeah. there was, and of course, the original Godzilla had a lot of attacks That's at true. night. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but it's, not, but it's the, not the norm. Yeah, for the most part, and this is what I admire about the Godzilla movies, they they really want to put the cameras on the monsters. Yeah. Let the monsters be themselves and sort of live in this like miniature set for a little bit. However, it's not like a lot of modern shows and movies that are filmed at night and they want to make it look quasi-realistic so they just don't light anything and you can't see a fucking thing. Yeah, you I, can't see what's going on. It yeah, is clear. I, I appreciate I, that. I talked to a modern cinematographer recently and I got to, I just got to ask him, why are are so many modern TV shows so damn dark? Yeah. And uh, he just said, oh, well, you know, back, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you're shooting on film strips and those require a lot of light so you can expose, you know, mm-hmm. to go into the lens so you can expose it and actually see what's going on. True. So they would like overlight a lot of these old TV shows and everything mm-hmm. was really bright and clear as a result because the actors are under these really hot lamps. Okay. Uh, he said, well, the, the cameras now can capture images with almost no light whatsoever. Right. Uh, so we're just not going to light anything. Like, but yeah, it but looks I still, bad. I still can't see anything. <laughs> yeah, I want to see. Got to realize like if that. You're like, having a ni- I understand if you're shooting like a night scene and you want it to look more naturally dark, the way it does when you're outdoors at uh, night. I usually don't though. Like hmm. there's a, there's always a line between realism and storytelling clarity. Yeah, and if, that's why they invented like blue filters. Yeah, they go out and shoot any time of the day. They put a blue filter over it. Yeah. And you can say that's nighttime. That's why Lord of the Rings, all the night scenes look like they're all like a wash in like it's a blue moon tonight, and everyone's yeah. in, and also it's a spotlight somehow. But like, I don't care about that. And there's <laughs> and there's one really important factor that when you consider that, oh well, you know, there's not a lot of light out at night. We'll make it look real. It doesn't look real, hmm. and here's why. In reality, your eyes adjust to light. That's right. Your eyes get used to the light that you have. And yeah, the less light, the less you can adjust. But you will always 
find a way to process as much information as possible. So in reality, it's actually not that accurate. It's just like uh, when you imagine like, oh, well, if we're moving a camera, if we do it handheld and it's got that kind of herky-jerky motion, that's going to feel more realistic, right? No, it's going to feel more like a documentary maybe, hmm. but in your in your actual head, your mind balances you out. Like, try tilting your head. To do this as an exercise if you're not, like, driving or anything like that. Try tilting your head. Okay, everything's askew, right? Give it a couple of seconds. Your mind mentally adjusts until it's just about normal. That's why Steadicam is actually a lot more accurate hmm. to the way that, like, human actual, you know, human sight actually moves as it moves with you. It feels a little bit more floaty and organic. Um, so, anyway... This one is dark, but it actually... You can see everything that happens in it. It looks cool. I'm not going to complain about it. Um, yeah, Godzilla kicks Hidora's butt. And it's, its butt's properly kicked. And Godzilla starts walking off. The little kid who, I guess, saw the movie Shane... Like, starts <laughs> running out. Godzilla! Godzilla! Godzilla's like, what? Kid's like, I don't know. Good job, I guess. I don't know. I really don't have much... To say, <laughs> Godzilla turns away, just sort of waving his hand. Yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, Jesus. I'm going back to my Godzilla cave under the ocean. And he clocks out like the coyote in that cartoon. <laughs> just yeah. got a six or a PBR with my name on it. <laughs> I'm picturing these as really tiny PBRs. <laughs> trying like to make it work. Like trying to open this tiny it's can like, of beer. Yeah, it's like worse than those mini bar bottles. He's like, oh, God damn it. Dear, I, dear PBR, can you make larger sizes? This is your extra large. Okay, fine. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, this movie is very, 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 very strange. It's very strange. Yeah. Um, I, the only thing I can think is that they're trying to court a stoner audience, mm. uh, or, or at least a psychedelic audience, like fans of that. Uh, mm. The film, you know, film aesthetics are changing all around the mm. world. Um, Godzilla has remained relatively like traditional uh, it might seem a little old-fashioned and stodgy at this point by the early 70s so this is mm-hmm. a filmmaker trying to shake up the style a little bit yeah you... uh, i appreciate i always appreciate efforts to do that because you know unless you try something new you're stuck with the old forever yeah uh, and you want things to be able to evolve. Yeah, and it's okay to like have a, a you know a phase of uh, retro aesthetics if you want to go back and emulate something that happened in the past but there needs True. to be an absence for a little while yeah. before you do that and uh, like if you look at like a lot of the contemporary cinema mm-hmm. coming out around the same time as the movie is 1971 filmmaking had gotten very very strange we've had like a lot more movies like experimenting with things like split screen and uh, uh, different aspect ratios uh, wilder less uh, sort of conventional editing uh, a lot more music interludes mm-hmm. like it just there was this very much gung-ho anything goes let's try to entertain the people as best we can mm-hmm. sort of uh, experience in a lot of movies especially lower budgeted movies and it feels like Godzilla is, is actually making a concerted effort to like be hip right now yeah and nothing ages more quickly than trying to feel contemporary 
Yeah, that's that's a big issue. That's not really a problem sometimes, necessarily, but you do yeah, age. You know, it does feel like a relic. It, you know? it doesn't uh, affect the film adversely. You look at something like The Matrix. Sure. You know, those long black coats are well out of fashion. Oh but, yeah, and, but and, and the rave cool, stuff so, and the yeah. music that was very much of that specific moment. Right. I was uh, yeah. I was just looking at like what are some other movies coming out around in 1971 around the world? Yeah. We have films like Straw Dogs. Yeah. We have A Clockwork Orange. We yeah. have The Last Picture Show. We have Walkabout. These very uh, deeply pessimistic movies. Yeah. Uh, Death in Venice, Tulane Blacktop, THX 1138. Yeah. Science fiction movie that is deeply hopeless. Uh, Ken Russell's The Devils. Uh, <laughs> Duck, you sucker. That one's a little bit more fun. Yeah, that's a Sergio Leone film. Yeah. It's, it's really, really good. People don't talk about it enough. Uh, Wake and Fright came out in Australia. Oh, God. One of the bleakest movies ever. Yeah, so there were a lot of like really bleak movies coming out in, mm-hmm. in the early 70s. Like uh, uh, World tastes were changing a little yeah. bit. And I feel like, where's Godzilla's place yeah. in that world? Mm-hmm. There are, however, I do think it's you're you're making it seem like like really extreme. There were comedies and things, yeah, like Bedknobs and Broomsticks came out that year as well. Harold and Maude came out that year as well. Great double feature, those two, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you had like really like sort of uh, kitschy horror movies, like the Abominable Doctor Fibes. All right. came out that year as well. So like, there's there is a lot of variety. There was a lot of sort of. Uh, uh, bleakness, you know, they were still like everyone's like still really like embittered by like things like the Vietnam War and you know, there's a lot of strife. And I think this is a movie that is trying to just have all the cakes and eat them too. Mm. I want to be a movie that appeals to kids because All Monsters Attack sort of set that template and so there's a kid at the center of it and he gets to help out and save the day and he has a psychic link with Godzilla because maybe all monsters attack established that. I don't know. And But then there's it's, also... It's a little vague. It's but then there's also this like that. really heavy, didactic pollution message to make it seem like a serious issue movie. But then there's also a whole bunch of like rock and roll teens who <laughs> are like... Psychedelic hippie stuff. Yeah. Or... It's all fucking over the place. Mm. It's not boring. Well, it's, I'll give you that. It, it's not boring, but these things don't click together in any kind of meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a certain kind of chaotic filmmaking that kind of unifies around sort of a central idea or a character, or at least even just a mood or a tone. I feel yeah. like this doesn't have like a central mood or tone. I think they're just sort of trying all this weird stuff uh, to to no end, like just to sort of be mm. stylistically forthright. It's weirdness because it makes it stand out. So it's mm. going to be a great one to watch in a group just because everyone's going to be so baffled. Yeah. But it is a baffling film. Uh, it And it's a far, far cry oh from that sort of like Saturday morning aesthetic that we've gotten from a lot of the other older movies. When this was released in America. Uh-huh. A lot of Godzilla a versus a lot, Smog Monster. Yeah, yeah. But when it was released in America, it was released as a lot of Godzilla movies were as part of like a double feature. Uh-huh. So you would they would you would see both films at least they were both advertised. Uh, the movie that this was like attached to is everything that we're talking about. I've actually never seen it, but I've heard about it. It's called Deathmaster. D E T H, right? Yeah, yeah, and it is about like a guy who like creates a hippie cult, but it turns out he's a vampire, and oh no, we shouldn't have joined this hippie cult. We shouldn't have had all that hippie fun. Now we're all gonna be vampires. Man, hippies are the worst, am I right? But we still want your money. 
There is a great irony to the fact that the most lascivious movies mm-hmm. attempt to attract the most conservative audiences. Yeah. Like, just look back in the 1930s, how many movies there were about sort of uh, drug takers and fallen women who oh, would yeah. go to the big city and you'll get involved in sex and drugs. City dwellers aren't watching those movies. These mm-hmm. are, you know, people afraid of the cities who want sort of a morality mm-hmm. tale warning them away. Yeah. But if you watch a morality tale, and they say this is for your own good, you can also throw in the kinky sex. You can yeah. do all of that. You can titillate, but as long as you're saying, Bob, but don't do it. Mm. There's a moment in this movie where we cut to that big rock concert, and like the lead singer is dressed up, and she looks like a bed of coral like that's her like her full bodysuit oh, and like yeah. our our like teen quasi semi lead is like clearly like you know really crazy for her and everything like that and I was just like oh that's reefer madness yeah cuz he's a reef and oh he's... reef oh god <laughs> I, i'm not sure if that's like a, a terrible pun or like incredibly insightful film criticism which that's, you just did there you yeah. know at its best you can't tell the difference <laughs> That's my is if you can't tell if that's a bad pun or genius criticism, mm. you've made it, my friend. Mm. Like that's how you know. That's like how people ask, "How do you know if you made it?" That's when. Um, speaking of uh, uh, insightful film critics, uh, do you know whose favorite Godzilla movie this was? Oh, you're not Roger yeah. Ebert. Oh, no kidding. Okay, this was Roger Ebert. I thought you were going to say like Idi Amin or something like some what? horrible no, person. Weird. No, no, Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert apparently said in one of his Godzilla reviews that his favorite film in the Godzilla series was Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know what? Roger Ebert always admired filmmakers who make big swings. Like mm-hmm. things that are kind of a little bit wild and a little bit chaotic. He tended to respond well to th- those kinds of movies. So I can see why. Mm. Uh, he, he wouldn't have uh, fallen for... <laughs> The sort of stern seriousness of Ishiro Honda. He would have liked something like Godzilla vs. the yeah. Smog Monster. Oh my god, do you remember uh, the one scene we, we we glossed over? It was also at that big hippie party where like our teen lead like looks all depressed and stuff and he starts looking around him and it's like that scene in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas where Hunter S. Thompson sees everyone around him as a literal lounge lizard except oh, yeah. he sees everyone at the party as having fish heads. Oh yeah, yeah. That was we don't even see him it's drop acid. <laughs> like that just came out of no I didn't know what the hell to make of that. I was so damn confused. Oh my god. I'm, I'm just looking over my notes here and it's just incredibly strange. Everything about this is just all fucking over the place. Uh yep, the creepy old people watching from Purgatory. I wrote that down. That's good stuff. Carrying Godzilla alive in his own filth. Uh yep. Uh this is all I wrote down that when Godzilla flies, they fly now, and then they fly now. <laughs> the best thing Rise of Skywalker gave us is that meme. Um, Godzilla versus Adora. Um, yeah, so it wasn't very popular, wasn't very successful. The producer didn't care for it, and it was the director's directorial debut. He was planning to do a sequel. He wanted to bring like back another Hedorah. Yeah. But this time it's attacking like, Africa, and Godzilla was going to protect Africa. And I'm like, I don't know if I trust you to handle that material well. It might be for the best that that one didn't come together. But <laughs> indeed, that's where we're at. Uh, the director never made any other Godzilla movies. I, I, Not directed, anyway. He produced yeah, those, pr- the produced, legendary ones. Yeah, yeah the legendary ones. Um, did movies with titles like Ninja Boy. Uh, he was also an AD for Kurosawa. Mm. So, you know, a little connection, because Kurosawa and Ishiro Honda were friends. I don't know yeah. if Ishiro Honda had anything to do with 
his getting this gig. Uh, apparently, Ishiro Honda, he wasn't really involved in the film, but after it was over, he did, like, give him some notes and uh, maybe helped him get, like, a couple of days extra shooting to, like... You know, every movie needs reshoots. Everyone always yeah. makes a big deal of it when every movie, like, oh my god, this, you hear this movie had reshoots? Every, every movie, movie has, has reshoots. reshoots. They plan for it. There's always some shot you realize you could use. Like, it's it's not a thing. Like, it's absurd when people make that into a thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna move away from this aesthetic really really quick, <laughs> and we're gonna kind of yeah. go back to basics so much so that they're literally bringing King Ghidorah back for the next film. Yeah, although this, this was this is a complete aberration yeah. in the entire Godzilla canon. Yeah. We like strayed it, from the formula and now we have to write it again. Uh, like Three Amigos Go to New York was not the hit we thought it would be. <laughs> we're going back to formula. Back to formula. Uh, and so, yeah, except uh, it's Ghidorah back, but it's not really about Ghidorah. It's about this new guy, and we're going to get Godzilla versus Gigan. Whitney, mm. just as a quick tease, what the heck is a Gigan? I have no fucking idea. Okay. Gigan is... <laughs> it looks like a bird. Okay, start. So it has, like, a beak and, yeah. like, kind of, a, kind of a feathery body, but it's also kind of a robot. Because it has, like, metallic hook arms okay. and a buzzsaw running down its stomach. Like you do. And and instead of eyes, it has, like, this, like, red, like, light-up visor. It looks like yeah. it's some kind of electric device. But, huh. but I think Gigan is organic. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Did you, did you ever watch Sailor Moon? Oh God, no! Uh, oh come on! I've, I've watched I've watched almost every episode of the original series of Sailor Moon. Sorry, and no, no, I enjoyed it. And oh. uh, but the thing is that Sailor Moon was a lot like Godzilla. In that every episode they needed a new monster. Okay, and so they would they would usually just grab some character or grab some demon, and they would just have some kind of gimmick. And sometimes the gimmick made sense, and sometimes it felt like we have no what we're just pulling shit out of whatever. So this is like a motorcycle demon, and their stomach is a tire. And it can go wee and like spin around, <laughs> and I'm like, no, Sailor Moon. I, I, it's okay because this is a 22 minute episode. We're never going to see this monster again, but it's probably best that we move on quickly. Uh, so maybe that's what guy again is. But I haven't seen this one, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I remember. Oh, by the way, in case anyone was wondering, um, I had said I kind of dreaded this one because I remember seeing this one and it was bad. Uh-huh. Never seen this one before in my life. I don't know what one I was thinking of. <laughs> At some point, in, as we cover the Godzilla movies of the 1970s, because I remember it being a Godzilla movie in the 1970s I didn't care for, I may end up watching one of these movies and going, that's it! That's the connection the and, one, that's yeah. the one I, and that's the one I didn't like. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes and maybe, maybe I just made it all up. Maybe I'm just wrong about everything. But, um, but uh, yeah, the yeah. Ne- we have uh, Godzilla versus Gigan. After that, we're going to get Godzilla versus Megalon. Yeah. Uh, which is. You sound excited about, not excited about, mad? Uh, that's the Jet Jaguar one. So oh, it's, okay. The, it's, it's exciting, but it's also, like, really terrible. Okay. But then we have Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, and those three are done by Jun Fukuda. Yeah. So we have, who we've seen before. Who we've seen before. And then uh, Ishiro Honda will come back for the final time in the last film. In the first Godzilla continuity, it's going to mm-hmm. be the end of the Showa era in 1975. Oh, God. So we only got like one month left. Uh, well, before the end of the Showa era. Before the end of the Showa era. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Yeah. Wow. But then, uh, yeah, then there was like a decade break, and they rebooted the franchise with the Heisei era. Mm. We got Return of Godzilla, which was released in the United States as Godzilla 1985. Um, we might split those up. 
Return we of Godzilla to, and Godzilla 85? We need to see how different they are to see if it's really worth it, but that mm. is definitely a possibility. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're humming along. We're we're uh, uh, not quite halfway through our journey, mm. but we're getting there. And it's really but, close. But the Showa era had a lot of movies in it, and we've been covering all the ancillary monster movies as yeah. well, so... What what episode number is this? Uh, this oh god, I haven't been numbering them, but mm. I'm pretty sure. Let me see. If, I'm going to check my list of movies here. All right. I think this is episode twenty three. Okay, because there were only like fifteen yeah. like official Godzilla Godzilla movies. Yeah, in, in the era. Showa yeah. era, and that then that's the biggest one. Yeah, and this is the most we're ever. We have a few other here and there, but this is the most Godzilla digressions. Mm. that we're going to have as this era. Like, we're mostly done with the Godzilla digressions. Yeah. There'll be a few times we step outside the Godzilla bubble when we do something like uh, the Mothra movies that they made in the 1990s. Right. Or uh, if we do... We'll get to uh, Kong Skull Island because that's the version of Kong Godzilla will fight. But for the most part, it's nothing but Godzilla from here on out. Like, the vast majority... Is nothing but proper Godzilla movies. Uh, it's it. This is a. This has been a strange trip. And it's just going to keep getting stranger. Um, I I am going to miss that occasional uh, like Atragon or, yeah. or Mysterians, like something breaking kind of un- unexpected, kind yeah. of breaking up the monotony. Yeah. Fortunately, we're allowed to watch other things. We just won't be podcasting about them on this show. Yes. Uh, but um, in any case, uh, yeah, that's coming up next. Godzilla versus Gigan. Thank you everybody for listening. If you're listening to this episode on the main podcast feed, the free podcast feed, one you can get on like. Spotify, Rapple Podcasts, or whatever. Uh, that means you can listen to our episode about Godzilla vs. Gigan right now, because our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network get every episode of Thank Godzilla It's Friday one week early. So they're always one episode ahead of you. That's very exciting for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, they get all of our new shows, uh, including critically acclaimed and all the others, uh, ad-free. So if you want to head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed, even $1 a month, you get Godzilla early and you get ad free. But for other tiers, you get a whole bunch of other different uh, uh, podcasts mm-hmm. that we've made exclusively for Patreon, uh, including uh, Only the Best, where we review every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture. Only the Best International, we're reviewing every single film ever nominated for Best International Feature. All Our Yesterdays, we're reviewing every single episode of Star Trek in order. There's a gigantic back catalog that unlocks for you if you do that. Commentary Tracks, we just released one for uh, uh, Reanimator in time for Halloween. Uh, and a lot more besides. And a huge thank you to all of our patrons. Without you, we couldn't do any of this, so it means a lot. If you can't afford to be a patron and you want to support the show, please subscribe. And you can also, it really helps a lot, if you could take a couple minutes out of your day, even one minute, write us a review wherever you find us. That would mean the world. It really helps us with the algorithm. It gets, yeah, like, I, it pushes up in the algorithm. It, it gets more it, eyes it on us. It tells and... Spotify that there's interest. It tells Apple Podcasts that there's interest. And like, oh, I guess people care. There you go. Um, but you can also contact us. We have an email address. It's letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed <laughs> Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. We're on the social medias. Uh, we're on Twitter and Blue Sky, at Critic Acclaim. And I, myself, as an individual, I'm at William Bibiani, mm-hmm. at Twitter, Blue Sky, Instagram, etc. Whitney is at Whitney. I'm at Whitney Saville. Yeah. yeah, that's how it works. In any case, uh, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for joining us on this very, very weird episode of a very, very weird podcast that we do. Uh, just this, just this one. Yeah, and all the rest, and all the. Rest. <laughs> In any case, bye. Rar.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.